Welcome everyone to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt and joining me in the repair bay is Pete. Hello, Pete. Rebels Unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor episode four, Aldani. Pete, making our way through the different story galaxies. It was just yesterday that we were talking She-Hulk episode seven. So that podcast up right now uh, with all sorts of discussion, reflection and speculation. Speaking of which, Matt, get your chimichangas. Yes, on the Pop Culture Podcast, we delivered, uh, with the shocking Deadpool 3 news, we delivered one uh, chimichanga of theory on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, added two more of those to uh, to the Patreon feed, that being a total of three chimichangas for patrons, and uh, just still kind of amazed. Pete, you'll be surprised to hear that if you go on YouTube and find people have done lip reading of that announcement uh it's basically it's a bunch of nonsense like and then i punch you and then er and then ah and then boom so we, yeah we're not going to make people pay for a lip reading of nonsense uh but you can get uh over to patreon uh it takes just a dollar to get you behind our door a month and uh listen to the additional theories we provided there additionally uh, Werewolf by Night, the first ever Marvel Studios special, thereby paving the way to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which, Matt, we can say now that the calendar has turned to October, is coming next month. Uh, Werewolf by Night hits uh, this coming Friday, October 7th, uh, and we will be podcasting that on Monday, October 10th, because we've got she-Hulk Fridays, we've got Star Wars Saturdays. Uh, what do we do on Sundays? Sundays, that's when we talk Star Trek, specifically Star Trek Lower Decks, and looking forward to the the, the just wonderful homecoming episode uh, that was this week's uh, latest Lower Decks. That's episode 306, and looking forward to that, uh, that reflection tomorrow. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial Network. Let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about this episode. Luthen's ship streaks away from Eric's as he directs Cassian Andor to dress his arm wound. Luthen sets a course for Aldani and jumps to hyperspace. The kick knocks Cassian back enough to ask what's powering his ship. He's flown a Fondor Hallcraft but never seen one do that. Cassian asks what Aldani is, since he hasn't agreed to do anything except save his skin. Luthen gives him a sip of Mednog um, and sees that Cassian has two options. He could drop him so he can run or come with him and help him do something important, or he could kill him and take the ship he offers him a chance to put a real stick in the eye of the Empire and get paid for it. Cassian wonders which of Alliance, Separatist, Guerrilla, Partisan Front, Luthen is and says it's all useless. He would rather live. He fought in Mimban, 
where he was 16 after all against Han Solo and the stuff that we never saw because of the time jump for two years, straight out of prison and into the mud, one of 50 that survived. But Luthen knows he was only on the ground in Mimmin for six months after coming in as a cook and lived because he ran. Yummy, yummy Mednog. I look forward to that being a Galaxy's Edge edition at some point. So, so, so sweet, so medicine-y. Um, it'd probably just be Gatorade and vodka or something like that. But I digress, Pete. Uh, Luthen imagines Andor's hate here. Why is that? Because uh, on Mimban, the Empire had them fighting each other. Um, and Luthen imagines that uh, Andor would like to perhaps die fighting these can i say it pete bastards uh, on, on scarif with Jin urso after they transmit the death star plans to princess leia it is look this is one of the benefits of knowing for sure how you're going to mm-hmm. end the overall stories you can backtrack it there and go you know well for this fine speech here isn't it better to give all for something that's real instead of cutting off useless pieces until there's nothing left uh, so there we go. Uh, I see what you're doing there, Tony Gilroy. Uh, as to the offer itself, the particulars of it, five days. It'll happen in five days. It's big stakes, big danger. If you survive and deliver, uh, d- deliver and or gets uh, 200,000 credits, uh, the job is involving stealing the whole quarterly payroll for an entire Imperial sector. Pete, all of this made possible by the fact that they're using kind of, you know, 1970s, 1980s uh, type technology. And thank goodness they don't have, you know, basically digital payroll the way it is now, where it just gets wired into your direct deposit account and so forth. Look what happens when you remain with the aesthetic of your setting. Space Bitcoin. On Coruscant, the capital of the galaxy, a female Imperial officer clad in white, carrying a briefcase, walks into the Imperial Security bureau building where a meeting is held um supervisor grandi is talking about the ryloth sector and resources major partigas uh is leading this meeting here uh actor who played um grand maester kyvern on uh, game of thrones just chewing this up asks Uh, Grandy, how she's going to target the resources she wants for the Ryloth sector. Well, that'll be anti-imperial activity, of course. But is she being intentionally vague? He wants specifics by the end of the day. He then asks Legret about an item from Arvala 6. Arvala, Matt, should be, um, you know, something you remember because uh, the child on your Mandor, your Mandalorian, uh, was, of course, found on Arvala 7. Uh, Pete, I guess that's Tony Gilroy throwing us a, a bone for the, for the... But he doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> Sometimes the junior producer slips something into the edit and goes, yeah, this came from Kathy to mention it. We pulled it from the list of weirdo planets. Okay, fine. Just make sure it's real. Um, Partagaz, which is just a delightful name to say, to, to look at 
all those A's in the name there. He questions the room. Why are we here? Finally, Pete, the blonde woman, whose subtitles maybe might have made you think was Grandy until you saw who Grandy was and all that. The blonde woman, Dedra, not Debra, completely different. Debra is like a, a like a, a real world name. Dedra, that's totally galaxy a long time ago, far, far away. She speaks from the ISB mission statement. Uh, and all the particulars that they're going to do regarding security. But she's told that security is an illusion. They are healthcare providers. Doubtless, Pete, some people watching the show got very nervous. But no, it's more of a metaphor. They identify symptoms and attack. They stop the disease, you know, security diseases, rebellions, and so forth. Um, at that point, someone is asked about the situation on Ferrix. Just a spot of trouble uh, before they happen to mention that there's some construction stuff going on uh, on Scarif. Pete, I understood that reference. On Aldani, Luthan's ship sits amidst the mountains. Cassian shaves. Luthan tells him to think of a name for himself, and for the next five days, he'll be Clem. Luthan spies a hooded woman hiking with his binox through the practical cockpit built in a real location that Clem will be working for. I must say, Pete, I'm impressed that this is a practical set in what looks to be the middle of nowhere. I mean, for all I know, over the next ridge is a, you know, bustling large town or something, but uh, well done there, embracing the practical and all of that. Um, as Luthen gets ready to step outside, he, he considers his, his crystalline necklace. He hands it over to Andor. Uh, it's a down payment. Uh, the, the signet is blue kyber. Uh, it celebrates the concept of an uprising. And it's worth 50000 but worth more to Luthen. So if nothing else, uh, I mean, obviously, look, blue kyber, and we can kind of be amazed at the, the Jedi uh, relationship to kyber crystals and all that but if nothing else i think the thrust within this scene is uh that luthan is showing some level of trust to andor but he'll still want it back when the mission is over luthan greets vel sartha who almost didn't get his message and took a full day to reach him he counts on her discipline as cassian watches them meet he eyes the control wheel and the ship's droid mod asks if he can help him. Luthen says Clem in there can pilot, shoot, lie. He speaks Alaran, Mayo, Nari, has steady nerves and is not afraid to kill. And he increases her chances of success dramatically in three days. But five months in, they're plugging in a new person and it'll tear the team apart. He's buying her critical redundancy, but they've been eating roots and sleeping on rocks for the rebellion. Uh, a failure here would be devastating, and he tells her, she'll tell the others it was always a part of the plan. Uh, she takes him, or she calls it off because Luthen was planning on shutting her down. If she wants to lead, this is what it comes to. In three days, something feels off. She cancels the mission. If he's the problem, he's disposable. They have to win. And she agrees, and Luthen calls Clem out. This is what it means to lead. Uh, just, you know, you have Stellan Skarsgård. You give things to Stellan Skarsgård. Back to the ISB. Uh, 
local blue shirts are now subject to imperial searches uh, they're gonna have to hand over the after action reports there's gonna be an analysis of culpability chief inspector moustache says that he had uh, didn't have anything to do with this uh and he wasn't told, even there <laughs> and he's told that's the point which i'm like ooh, filing that one away for future use when i don't know but it's difficult to argue around this is an incredulous disaster uh and as for deputy inspector karn who was so proud of his efforts or would have been had they worked out take solace that you won't be replaced in your job you in fact have rung the final bell of corporate independence here uh the imps are going to run the show here and they're going to stay ding ding pete that's the final bell of corporate independence congrats this meeting here on Morlana One, conducted by uh, Blevin, Lieutenant Blevin, um, is great for a variety of reasons. You know, the outer office is is getting boxed up and ransacked by the Imperials. These guys are getting the riot act read to them. Um, a fully clothed Sergeant Mosk, Matt, tries to raise his hand to get a question. Uh, answered, and of course, Plevin shuts him down there. I say fully clothed on Mosk because uh, I found out this week it's the same production team as the tremendously done Chernobyl miniseries uh, that Skarsgård was also, uh, you know, a headliner for. And this actor that plays Mosk, he played one of the real-life miners um, who they were so uh, uncomfortable uh, called in to mine out, uh, dig a tunnel in Chernobyl. They did it uh, au natural. Wow. And, and uh, realized that this week. I'm like, I've, I have seen this dude before, but he had no clothes on and he was dirtier. And uh, his real life counterpart died taking on this uh, real mission to save uh, two continents. Back to Vel and Cassian. They're walking in the hills of, Pete, what I believe the Star Wars production calls the the outside. The outside is like a full world LED volume <laughs> whose sunlight is lit by actually the sun. There's a whole universe of light and, uh, you know, it's realistic in a, in a uh, day night uh, nocturnal cycle. It's awesome. Yeah, it just feels it feels so authentic. Uh, but Vel says that Andor had better toe the line or there will be big problems. His name is Clem. She well, doesn't know an Andor, just like she doesn't know Luthen. True. I, I, I'm erring on the side of just calling him Andor within the within the the dealio here, because Clem. Pete, I, I hope we get more of OG Clem um, in flashback. I guess time will tell for that. But what is the job, or what are some more specifics here? They'll be robbing the armory at the Aldani garrison, uh, and there is an Imperial presence that's very close. And or balks. Uh, how many are there on the team? Well, with him, it's now seven. But wait, what's that? An excellent sound design because if you listen carefully, you can hear what he hears. Well, they uh, the see them real quick before they fly over. If you look, you yeah. can see them between the mountains way back. And it's it, it's just a really well done scene. Again, Pete, using some of this 
um, this set dressing, which I believe is called the nature. Um, but they both hide, you know, quick tuck in against the, the rocks and uh, just great moment as the TIE fighters crest the ridge, almost scarier than ever. Uh, and with that, the TIE fighters are gone and Vel says they won't be back today. You know, it's just part of their their standard patrol. And uh, let's get a move on. Dedra and her assistant review the Ferrix, which is misspelled in the report incident. Five dead, one local and four Primor security officers. The Star Path unit gives her jurisdiction uh, because it was stolen from uh, her sector. And she sends her assistant to Blevin's office for the info. He thinks it would mean more if she went, but she doesn't want to spark his interest. Uh, I will say, Pete, uh, his style of pants, kind of like, I don't know, 1930s, 1940s uh, Nazi pants. So I think we're, I think we're maintaining a certain consistency here with uh, the Empire. To Imperial dress. Just, but but I'm saying just a through line here in the, in the costume design and all that. Back to uh coruscant is luthan uh, as his ship approaches it uh he's off screen as he calls for the ship to dock itself uh he steps into a private area uh, perhaps one that was intentionally obscured uh, i'd love to just know more about this ship he washes his face puts on a wig changes into some high muckety muck clothes pops on some of those rings he's uh kind of trying on also his other smiling personality in private um just you know look some sometimes you write words for actors and sometimes you write stage directions for the actors and stone stars guard doesn't need dialogue like now i'm returning and i have to pretend to care like just he just does it through the acting and uh, that's why you go and get somebody of his caliber clem asks vel about where they are, and she explains 40,000 people used to live across the highlands for centuries, but it only took the Empire a decade to clear them out to an enterprise zone in the lowlands with factories, new towns, and even imperial housing. Aldani, she says, has the unfortunate quality of being close to nothing and not very far away from everything. The perfect hub or distribution they're supposed to be shepherds nature lovers mystics dead enders and uh they still have a way to go yes in this area mystics but no no skexies that's a completely different story back to dedra she's going to see blevin uh, she wonders why the paperwork wasn't handed over you know on account of her request uh that she sent the you know the, the deputy with the the sweet pants uh blevin says that what's going on here is in his sector despite her claiming jurisdiction uh love the figurative language here how she's climbing the ladder but must make sure that it is secure before climbing it up so quickly uh and uh fine she's gonna go take it to part of gaza on the way out blevin says to her uh to to not look down on that metaphorical ladder and it's just again this is one of these situations of uh blevin you don't have a ton of lines in this episode you need to make every moment count and he does vel and clem hike through the night and a man sleeps next to a rock with a rifle in the morning 
as another man puts a blaster to his face and wakes him up and tells him if he rides with other revolutionaries and then one named Saw Guerrera and falls asleep on watch, they'll put his head on a pike for a laugh. The man who was caught sleeping is sorry and asks the other not to tell Val. He won't, but he's going to make him tell her. Um, and uh, she is on her way there, but with another person. They tell the others at the camp she's coming with this stranger as Vel walks past some many horned space goats. Vel introduces them to Clem, who she hadn't mentioned because she wasn't sure they would be able to get him there on time. She introduces Skeen, Tamarin, Nemec, and Cinta. They always knew they were a man, uh, short, and Tamarin asks to speak with her. Nemec will take all the help they can get. Vel tells Cinta to check on Clem's arm, and she tells Tamarin and Skeen to fix the animal posts, and they'll work Clem into the program at Drill. This scene, the introduction of uh, Eben Moss Backrack's Skeen, as you mentioned, Pete, uh, we had wondered what every man he would be playing. Of course, we've seen him playing uh, David Lieberman, a.k.a. Micro, in The Punisher, and uh, everybody should check him out in uh, the show The Bear on FX. So, uh, Pete, he's got some Disney uh, familiarity here, if nothing else. Uh, the story goes back to the spaceport. Karn is there, bags packed, uh, the, the, the sense around him that he's been uh, you know, sent away, sacked, and so forth. And uh, just the whole air of things. In, in a moment, it's going to take us kind of into this feeling of post-war Britain concrete. But Pete, what are my ears picking up as he's in the old spaceport? The PA announcer discusses the departure to Hosnian Prime that the future capital of the galaxy that the First Order will destroy with Starkiller Base. There you go. That now has doubled the amount of important things that Hosnian, Hosnian Prime has uh, contributed to Star Wars, which is to say, I know some people complained like, oh no, it's the capital planet that gets destroyed that we see for five seconds and it's destroyed. You know, I don't share that complaint, but some people do. Uh, Karn uh, going, to, go, going down and down and down in the elevator there, rings a doorbell. It's Mother who answers the door. She slaps him, then cries against him. Hey, stop staring, neighbor. They go into her apartment. And again, I just want to point out, this is a another this is another scene where there could have been lots of dialogue. Like, I was so embarrassed when they told me you were fired. But now I love you that you're home, my boy. That would have been a perfectly fine scene to do. Polish that dialogue, make it a little bit better. Or trust these actors to convey the exact same thing through you know, they're acting, and uh, I appreciate the choice that Tony Gilroy made. Cinta needs to clean Clem's blaster burn, and he moves the kyber crystal to his pants pocket when she's not looking. She apologizes because they're saving the pain meds. Tamarin asks how Vel knows Clem, and she tells him he comes highly recommended. Skeen ascertains she doesn't know him, but she knows they need him. 
That's all she'll say because everything else is a violation of security. Tamarin can feel he's got brass, Clem does, and they can use a hand, but questions the timing. Nemec wants to believe in his belief of the cause, and Vel tells them she trusts Clem. Back to Coruscant we go, a very sweet speeder lands, okay, Pete? It's almost as though Star Wars has baked into it some sort of appreciation of car racing culture from the 1950s or 1960s. I, I don't know. Uh, but who's just there? just came from a space diner, no doubt. Um, if only the license plate was THX1138. <laughs> um, but who's being driven in this sweet speeder it is of course senator mon mothma who is visiting luthan um i like again kind of in this we'll trust the audience and we'll let acting and other things do it as opposed to like ding ding welcome to my shop where we sell things no we can let we can work that into the dialogue in like 15 seconds the audience can wonder where are we what are we doing but luthan is all smiles and open arms so glad that she's visiting him in this happy place this gallery of his uh, history i understand you're here to do some shopping for your husband perhaps military items um the the staffer uh luthan staffer takes the driver aside hey would you like to go shopping too the driver says no no i couldn't afford anything in here still almost with a wink to the audience the staffer says let's go over there and look at some coins that as luthan says he has some special items in the back let's go in the back and talk loudly about these gallery of history things until it's then time to whisper before we get to the back and you know this gallery crowded with eye-popping item cameos here the gift needed for uh mon mothma's husband uh also a chandril in uh, you know, his day of days, one of their many customs. Um, first, they look at a uh, Utapauan uh, monk cudgel. Utapau, of course, the planet where Obi-Wan Kenobi tracked General Grievous to. There's also a Wookiee helmet from Kashyyyk on that table. And not to mention some really, really sharp-looking mandalorian best car armor that may or may not wind up on uh dinjar at some point in the future there's even more in the back but let's analyze what they're talking about loudly in the back <laughs> we will have the real conversation about what's going on back there he can't deliver although she has the money but it's difficult to have access to the money harder and harder every day she's being watched more and more now there's a, a new spy every day at the senate she goes to the bank and it's all new faces there even the driver is new uh help is difficult uh, but mon mothma notes she has found someone <gasps> pete i know who it is I think a new all hope know. of sorts <laughs> um uh but back to loud shopping here take this on loan to give to your husband and you can return it if you're uh, if you like now we will speak in loud metaphors it's a daring choice but you may have uh the courage to turn back if you want to turn back uh Clea, the assistant will wrap this off and uh or wrap this up rather and off uh mon mothma and driver go to the speeder uh so much tension for the senator 
you whipped us right past matt in the back room some carbonite boxes uh there are three the front two you can see one contains a coiled um bullwhip the next uh a fertility idol that is no doubt gold and meant to be in some sort of temple uh, right around the time of the Second World War that uh, when you pull it off its little, um, you know, resting place, you got to put a bag of sand. Some nice Indiana Jones Easter eggs there. Uh, is it fair to say, Pete, let's not consider these grave violations of the timeline or whatever and just say, hey, somebody made a thing for a ha-ha and, and, and that's okay? Back to Andor and company, uh, a speeder is arriving. Oh no, he looks imperial, but no, he's with us, we're told. Uh, the man is upset that Andor, a.k.a. Clem, has joined the party. Uh, you're adding a new man three days out. We're not prepped for this. Clem slash Andor is called over and introduced to Lieutenant Gorn. Gorn That's right, Pete. Gorn the Gorn in our Star Wars now. This is an episode that talks about an Enterprise Zone and also has the <laughs> Gorn in it. Um, but no time to bicker. It is instead time to get this all figured out. Uh, Gorn is trying to push all the attention to the lowlands. There's going to be an inspection for the higher up Imperials and things are quickly changing. So, you know, tension and motive to keep things moving. Yeah. All these patrols on stone Canyon because of this Imperial engineer arriving from Coruscant. Hmm. Um, they have him until this midnight inspection. Mon Mothma arrives home uh, where she places her necklace on a credenza and servants uh, hustle by. She asks Man Mothma, a.k.a. her husband, Perrin, uh, what he's doing decorating a table. And it's for dinner with the governor of Hana, his regimental mate. She forgot after he added it to her calendar a month ago, after they discussed it, he wore her down to have this dinner. Uh, he's just looking forward to seeing some old friends. And she checks the seating chart. And uh, there's one newer character, but there's an old one here, Sly Moore from the Vizier's private chamber coming. Sly Moore, of course, the ashen blue skin character seen frequently around emperor palpatine and supreme chancellor palpatine um in the prequels of course um the concern here that mon mothma has is that these people hate her and spend every uh minute trying to undo her work in the senate Parent says, perhaps tomorrow they'll think twice about that. But she tells a servant to leave them and tells her husband he shouldn't have invited them without making sure she was aware. He says it's a bit late to cancel, but he will. And she tells him not to seat them near her. But he's taking care of that because she's at the boring end he might be sitting with an intern down the other end. Uh, she's incredulous. These people have shut down the shipping lanes, uh, hither and yon. Folks to, out whoa, there. Whoa, whoa. to Gorman, 
that's a that's a Star Wars Rebels reference right there, kid. Well, there, look, Tony Gilroy, you can't escape the edit where they put stuff in there. Stop putting Star Wars in Tony Gilroy's Star Wars. Well, uh, Pete, more on that in a moment. Uh, this notion of they've shut down the shipping lanes, people are going to starve and die. Uh, maybe everybody can have a nice chuckle over this uh, while we're all eating the third course. Uh, Perrin wonders if everything must be always boring and sad. Pete, just want to point out here, Perrin. Hmm. Okay, Perrin, the spouse of a legacy Star Wars politician here. Pete, do you happen to know the name uh, in Star Trek The Next Generation, the name of the spouse of the legacy politician Sarek, as shown in Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, Sarah? No. Perrin! That's right. Oh. Three, three Star Trek references. <laughs> Stop I think... putting Star Trek in Tony Gilroy's Star Wars. Listen, just as your J. Jonah, J.J. Abrams put an r2d2 into star trek 09 uh in the when they they warp to vulcan and in the wreckage there's a there's a uh an r2d2 in the wreckage what about His, kelvin ridge in the force awakens matt it's it's all connected ju just as there was signaling to the other to the other bunch hey i want to play story with you i think tony gilroy secretly liked to go from 24 episodes of this to do you know kind of a mature boots on the ground you know maybe this is your 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 starfleet academy but it's not aspirational or maybe it's the section 31 show tony gilroy runs i'm telling you pete he wants himself a star's trek back on Andani, vel explains that uh the valley of caves is sacred and the empire came 13 years ago and liberated the airbase 50 clicks west uh, over their makeshift map, um, the Empire discovered the unique storage possibilities of the caverns and claimed the land for the Emperor and dammed up a sacred river. Aldani uh, Garrison is a depot for supplies and weapons and the aforementioned payroll. She points to the crudely constructed observation tower and sentry defenses that protect the runway. Nemec says that that piece is fragile because the rain gets in the glue. Pete, you call it a poorly constructed map. I'd like to call it a diorama here, okay? Intricate in its detail and so forth, imperfect as it might be. Um, again, underlined, uh, they're going to be headed underground, taking a whole bunch of payroll out the runway. Pete, it's almost like they've seen other movies like Titanic and Citizen Kane where in the or before a big mission, you explain... Here's how this is supposed to go. Ocean's Eleven. Here's how this is supposed to go. And then people either know what to expect or know when it goes wrong. That sort of thing. But uh, to escape in a Rono, that tugboat. Uh, uh, TIE fighters will arrive in minutes. Nine minutes, it is said. Uh, and or slash Clem saying this is a suicide run. Um, and yes, because it is a suicide run, that's why there's only a 40-man garrison protecting against uh, an attack that only stupid people would take. But there is the icing on the top here, the sacred rocks, this little part here on the diorama, not map, thank you very much. The uh, Eye of Aldani, it's a sacred spot. You can, it's like seeing 50 meteor showers at once when when, when the event happens, uh, leading up to the eye forming on the horizon. 
quite a thing to see. Uh, some people still show up for it, uh, j- just a few. Um, uh, but uh, it, we're told uh, that it's not actually a meteor shower as much as uh, crystals hitting the atmosphere. Um, but in the sky, it's chaos. And that's when I think we all go, oh, they know when the sky will be chaos. TIE fighters fly in the sky. They have calculated a safe trajectory to fly out that Rono tugboat-like ship. Uh, it will close the sky down uh, for all but them. And that's their cover. So it's Clem in. Pause. Pause. Let's get to it. On Coruscant in the ISB headquarters, Partagas referees a meeting between Blevin and Lieutenant Dedra Miro uh, tracing the theft um, that the uh, tech, the Starpath unit, has uh, gone through here. Um, It's going to lead to uh, activity in her sector. Uh, But Partagaz asks, is this worth the intra-office friction for something that just could be a robbery gone awry? She feels it's part of an ongoing effort, uh, a rebellion. Um, She has three similar case files on her desk. She's seeing a pattern. Uh, She has a feeling, repeated methods, similar items, gut instincts. But the major points out that she came to them from enforcement. Here, they act on vetted and verified information. She should alert him when she has something more definite. It is floated that uh, her gender is a hindrance to her career. Uh, Partagaz says, get your job done as stated. Don't get lost in the dust. Uh, and those TPS reports in man, Blevin did his, he has six <laughs> sectors. Um, but again, this notion of kind of toe the line and, and you can fly quite high. Part of what's remarkable about this scene is, you know, when is an antagonist, an anti-hero and the notion that Lieutenant Dedra Merrow, we know she is sniffing out the rebel alliance that is slowly building in the next five years towards a successful theft of the plans and its first public victory in Rogue One and, you know, shortly thereafter, the events of A New Hope, etc., etc. So while I don't think we are rooting for her success, it's just such a remarkable scene because we know she's on the right path. We can see that the bureaucracy is boxing her out and then the notion that She's being held back due to her gender. Partagaz is kind of implicitly behind her to be the best, and he's not uh, biased against her and so forth. There's all this, like, we want her to do well, except, you know, don't stop the Rebel Alliance, which we know will be successful and so forth. So that, Pete, is how you take a protagonist and give him a little, uh, or pardon me, an antagonist, and give them a little whiff of antihero. It's a doubly great scene because all right i'll i'll tap into the anti star wars of uh tony gilroy you know we've seen other scenes like this and it's don't make me tell lord vader you're a screw up and it doesn't need to do that uh so for that part 
uh, we'll score a victory for Tony Gilroy and his anti-Star Wars, Star Wars. We go back to Clem and company, a.k.a. Andor. Uh, they're having a quiet fireside dinner. Some of the tech details are gone over. You know, uh, here's your pad. Study the ship, the garrison, all the Aldani phrases. Read up Merc. Uh, eat, clean your bandage, and know it all by morning. She's got first watch. People are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? Pete, let's start with this theory. Surely Mon Mothma will kill Man Mothma at some point in this season, right? So knowing that uh, Bo Willimon comes on and does writing for... Uh, some episodes in the middle and this senatorial intrigue and now a failing marriage in the middle of it. Like, you know, I'm salivating for those episodes. Um, this was the last that was previewed for us before the series launched and that they hold Mon Mothma uh, to the fourth episode with the Mon Mathma. Uh, you know, I, I want more of this character. We know so little that you had Genevieve O'Reilly originally, Matt, in a uh, deleted scene from uh, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, playing that character. And then they reach back for her and they bring her into Rogue One. And now they've reincorporated her. So she has been playing this character for the better part of almost 20 years um, in little bits and pieces yeah yeah it's it's fascinating okay she's she's 45 now okay um but yeah i just that that intrigue like that story that's going to unfold there are, are we going to get that dinner are we going to see sly more and maybe some other people we recognize from the now imperial senate and how all that's going to go on on top of you know there's such a bespin vibe to her home you know we know she's from uh chandrilla uh different system and you know they talk about all sorts of customs and everything like that um but you know a lot of great things in this episode but all the things there in and around her introduction and not just I am Senator who is secretly moving money and helping the rebellion. Like there's real motivation and problems for her character beyond just being watched. And is he one of the watchers? Well, I do think we are going to see that dinner. It's too delicious, no pun intended. It's too delicious a story opportunity to not to not have it. I also would imagine there's some sort of, like, the climax of the scene is there are all the, you know, kind of like, uh, let's see, th th there's her husband, there's Perrin and all the, you know, the bad folks at the one end laughing it up, you know, full mouths, uh, some extra, you know, turkey juice on the lip or something like that as they kind of you know laugh and and chortle and whatnot and she's at the other end her rage slowly building maybe do a hard cut to her like running on out of there or something like that um but yeah i just think 
there's there's so much potential for this character here. Indeed, Pete, as you said, a character who we don't know very well. Let me ask you this. What do people who are in the familiar call Mon Mothma? Do they call her Mon? It is. Does she have a single name of two words, Mon Mothma? What is it? Well, the joke, as I've already done here, you know, she's Mon Mothma. He's Man Mothma. Um, do you just call her Mon, though? And then we have Mon Calamari's, uh, one of which she knows uh, in Admiral Akbar. I got to think like every time you talk to her, she, she's Mon Mothma. Like it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Peggy Sue. It, it's space Peggy Sue. Um, yeah, I think certainly to have people going around saying, hey, Mon, uh, that just <laughs> look, we had enough of that in episode you one. The, uh, you know, the, we, we know we're not supposed to get Jedi in the series, but there's a Jedi with a Jamaican accent. <laughs> runs into Mon Mothma yeah there could be real confusion so surely Senator um, Senator Banks hey Mon (laughs) there you go see it's getting better and better Um, surely next week we're getting this attack uh, for the uh, for all the Imperial loot like there's there's no other um, Clem Val story to get to like that's got to be next week right aldani matt we just got done talking about continue to talk about mon mothma uh the genevieve o'reilly of course has been up front that she based part of her portrayal on you know uh maybe the most famous female politician of our time hillary clinton um aldani benghazi i don't know um I I do know that well I would I would bet very much that we, we get that next week and too much potential for it to go wrong. I mean, yes on the one hand as you pointed out Pete, we're a third of the way through the season uh and next week is already episode 5 if you can believe it and all of that, but with so many episodes to go going all the way to you know 12 episodes this season, we're what approaching the midpoint. There's there's way too much story ahead for this to be a clean job and they get out after, you know, a, a rousing chase and they get out as TIE fighters are destroyed by not meteors, but rather crystals hitting the atmosphere all around them in some sort of, you know, fireworks explosion. Like it must go wrong. That's my prediction. We already care way too much about poor Nemec. He's a dead man. Uh, Vel, I, uh, believe we've been given too much to believe that, uh, uh, she won't, uh, parish. So I think she'll stick around. And then the others, their uniforms look a little red, Matt. What other theories do you have? What is powering Luthen's ship that impresses uh, Andor? He's been around the block. And, uh, you know, the, the kick there with the hyperspace at the beginning. And then that he even eyes the ship to steal. Uh, before committing to this mission yeah it's it's not only notable for its own story merit like look we're calling attention to it we can circle back to this later um but to my knowledge and to my thinking you know the only time we've ever really spent um any other star wars story time talking about a fast ship is the millennium falcon how it was actually 
a computer calculating a route because of dialogue that George may have actually meant it was just fast, but he used science fiction words and it's actually calculating the route. Okay, fine, whatever. My point being just the notion of like, it's very unusual to have a souped up super fast ship, I guess of this size and going to hyperspace with, with emphasis is unusual. Um, so I feel like there's not a lot of star Wars context for it, but again, they're kind of planting a flag and saying, we're going to return to this with, some sort of explanation or whatever it might be um, at a later point. What that would be, I honestly don't know. So that Andor is established in this episode as having fought for the natives on uh, the mud world of Mimbon um, against the Imperials, one of which was Han Solo, is a lot of fun there. And then that Luthan knows the real story uh, no, you lied about that. I know all about you. You were a coward. And part of a scene that really is hammering home what I think the story, the story did a very good job of doing more than floating it in the last episode. But I think the purpose of that scene is to really hammer home. Luthen is out here recruiting big players for the, you know, for what will be the rebel Alliance. We know that things are increasingly uh, approaching a breaking point where the you know the rebels are gonna you know the the rebels are gonna have more and more success and all of that um but again this notion that luthan is out recruiting is a lot of fun a it's obviously giving upward momentum to andor but you wonder who else is luthan recruiting uh whether it's you know it's probably not legacy characters but you know it, it could be fun in four or five episodes to say look here's somebody else and it you know could be a brand new delightful character that Ryloth is called out in this ISB meeting in the beginning, a big uh, source of uh, resistance and rebellion all the way back to uh, the Clone Wars and to Star Wars Rebels. Of course, uh, Hera Syndulla hails from Ryloth, um, I think is both intentional and a lot of fun hey, this is going on and we're still trying to quell those, uh, you know, tailed people over there on that planet. Yeah, and I would say, I know we're kind of having a bit of fun here at the expense of Tony Kilroy, make it real, get Star Wars out of my Star Wars, um, which I think we are we are slightly over-characterizing it with get Star Wars out of my Star Wars. But um, if nothing else, I mean, look, Tony Kilroy has bosses above him and it wouldn't be Star Wars if they weren't making the universe seem knit together. Uh, and of course, they have no end of people where you can say, give me a planet that would continue to be uh, a source of some trouble, uh, particularly in the, you know, rebel front or, or local front. And, you know, something like Ryloth reinforces the whole the whole overall Star Wars story there um, while if you're not catching the reference, then it's just a throwaway of more more problems. The ISB, really the kind of the KGB of the Star Wars universe, uh, eventually going to give us uh, Moff Gideon, um, has also given us Agent Callus. Matt, seems to be some speculation we might see Agent Callus from Star Wars Rebels, who eventually defects to the Rebellion. 
And I know for my experience, as soon as the, the that title card came up saying, you know, that we were at ISB headquarters, my mind first went to the reputation of Moff Gideon and and kind of the reputation of ISB officers and so forth. So, yeah, again, backing off the Tony Gilroy stuff here, you know, if you remember that most recent reference, you know, being Mandalorian episodes in the last, you know, two, three, four years, that sort of thing, then even though this is not the same production team and this is not a story where there's, uh, to our knowledge, going to be any crossover with Mandalorian stuff, it still has been reinforced versus... You know, if this was a brand new, it, it would work just the same if it, if it was a brand new creation, but it's not. It's already there. It's something to pull from, and uh, it's just strengthening the whole experience. That Andor is going by Clem for this mission. We know that his adopted father was uh, strung up back on Ferrix. Speculation as to whether we'll get any, uh, you know, either flashback of that or explanation um i would hope that we would i know i had posed the question last week uh are we going to get more you know more of these ferrix characters um and while you know like you look at the posters and things like that the answer is almost certainly yes it does feel at the moment that we've left them completely behind. And my anticipation for next week is we've similarly left those characters behind. Um, if nothing else, it could set up a nice return of the present day storyline characters or more flashback stuff, things of that sort. Um, it's funny after all these shorter seasons that Disney plus has done, it's like you kind of marvel and go, wow, 12 episodes. There's so much room to tell so much story. There's so much ability to be like, we are going to, you know, he's going to make an important choice to leave this place never to return, question mark. And we can kind of buy into it because we're going to spend significant story time away from those characters. Um, so, Pete, maybe 12 is the new six. I don't know. Is Luthen getting his Kyber crystal back? I would certainly think so. I think that's going to be, you know, hey, you did it. Give me my thing back and it's a hearty handshake and it's a sign of trust um and so forth i would wonder i mean again i know this is the this is the everyman story this is not you know jedi and sith and so forth you know is there some future for that crystal there does it end up in a lightsaber that we know or something like that i mean pete this may be a really silly engineering question here could his ship somehow have a kyber crystal propulsion to it or something of that sort not propulsion okay maybe weapons we'll see <laughs> what uh what other theories are on your list is karn being radicalized you know this idea that he was playing corporate cop he's at the heart of this colossal screw up because he went too hard um all right again credit tony gilroy star wars in the past would be like send a guy to break his neck by uh you know squeezing his fingers and he will uh act and and fall dead and instead it's it's the disgrace going home to mom here who's already heard about it who's ashamed yet 
you know, he remains her son. Could he be radicalized to the rebellion? I was wondering, could he be radicalized to something worse? Now, it is kind of a little bit more difficult to imagine something worse than the Empire, worse than the ISB, which is... Would they take him based on this screw-up? Like, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. He idolizes the Empire. He, you know, fits his uniform differently. He's all about the rules and, you know, unrelenting. Um, but, you know, did too much. And you wonder, could he learn the error of his ways and and do better? I think the way the episode uses him is interesting. If the episode was done, if the if the series was done with him, you know, it could just be like, you know, ah, oh, take these blue shirts away or take them out back to be shot. You kind of go, oh, I thought we were headed towards something, but now you know it's the the bigger fish that eats the smaller fish. Now I'm scared of the bigger fish. That that sort of thing. The fact that he does go home to mom, that she does have shame and happiness that he's returned home under those circumstances. You know, shame at the circumstances happy that he's home um again if you didn't kind of know well he's on the poster and here's where he is on the bill you know the order of when the cast is built and all of that you might think the story is done with him and indeed if we had a six episode season or a seven episode season you'd say there's no way there's the time for him to come back in two or three episodes the fact that we do have this larger time here i i don't know i feel like I feel like there's a better story to be told where he somehow becomes, you know, kind of an extremist militia anti-rebellion person than pro-rebellion person. Although I think it is interesting to ponder, we know the Rebel Alliance are the good guys because it's good versus bad. And we know the whole Star Wars makeup of things. It is worth keeping in mind, you know, that there are equally radical people on the bad end who could be out somewhere in the world of star Wars or in other worlds, um, training out there in the woods for the big day that they need to have their, their insurgent attack against, uh, against things and so forth. I think that's among other things, it's part of this, you know, star Wars is always taking place in a dystopian place that occasionally has peace. Yay. We destroyed the death star return of the Jedi, but we know in 30 years time it, you know or in the ensuing 30 years trouble is slowly brewing until we're back with the same problem again um so it'll be interesting to see is he a tool of improvement or a tool of further uh dystopia these early rebels and this intercell secrecy you know <laughs> the group doesn't know about luthan uh vel keeping secrets and you're not going to tell them about him and so on and so forth um it establishes all the specter of having your mind probed by the force or droids that have needles on them and other instruments of torture yet doesn't come out and say it certainly you know the empire has its secrets i do find myself fascinated by the idea that these rebels 
are managing their secrets as well. I can only imagine that this is how it's done. You know, French resistance, world war two, things of that sort. Um, I, I must confess, I don't have like, I can't, I don't have the knowledge to say, Hey, I know this is how, how it was done. Um, but it certainly lends an authenticity to the only way to run this kind of operation, which is if these seven people go into the garrison, obviously we know Andor is not getting caught and captured and tortured and gives up all the information and killed, you know, killed. Um, but if that happens, well, it's only as far as, well, not for nothing. Vel has been told he's expendable. So if the troops are closing in, what's Vel's number one job? Oh, there's no way out. Shoot Andor, Clem. Um, and then not for nothing. She's the only one who knows of the, uh, Luthan connection. So it might be up to her to solve that particular problem before the troops get to them. But how it really is this, this appropriately paranoid self-contained operation. Is Mon Mothma's someone who can help that she tells Luthan about Bail Organa, or is it a younger senator um i think it's bail organa i think that here he he jimmy smith's came back for uh for um the obi-wan show i think we're gonna see him at it again i think they're gonna go okay in rogue one your hair was this color in kenobi your hair was that color what's the in between just to get it just right um it also would open the door pete there's been i think we'd mentioned in some of the preview episodes for the show rumors of whether it's millie bobby brown or whomever playing um a a a teenage princess leia that would that could open the door too where i mean look for for all the secrets going on right the backroom dealings at luthan's shop oh curiosities and so forth you know mon mothma bail organa uh and his child can we have both Can, can we just say that right now can i can I get, you know, a day that they emptied out the set and Genevieve O'Reilly. Oh, and hey, here's fellow countrywoman Millie Bobby Brown with the hair and the braids. And oh, Senator. Hello, Senator. Some space tea. No, let's talk about getting some plans into my droid. Pete, look, I don't know how much time gets spent with any of these shows saying we're going to make our break the internet moment. Probably it's just, you know, you make a really cool thing. And then if you have some ideas, whether it's a neat casting moment or whatever it is, obviously you secretly reach out, you get the deal done and so forth. But that would be pretty, that would be pretty amazing to get Jimmy Smith's. How about this? We'll, we'll, we'll forget the actors for a moment. If you could get Bail Organa and a teenage uh, princess Leia, Talking there with Mon Mothma, that would be a pretty amazing uh, feather to have in the cap of this show. Is the Imperial Engineer uh, arriving at Aldani? The answer is yes. <laughs> you don't even need to ask the question. Yes, it is. They're filming in Europe. It's easy enough. Hey, come on over. Yes. Yeah, I'll let you finish your question. The answer is yes. It's also someone we know. Yes, it's uh, Papa Urso. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, just, just want to be clear on that, uh, that he's going to get whatever at, at the thing and they almost kill him so that they can later almost kill him and and he dies. Obviously, any of these actors, regardless of where they live in the world, you know, it's worth their while 
to you know to fly you want to fly to los angeles or fly to australia or, or wherever i'm assuming mads mickelson obviously has a has a a home a base of operations in europe here they are filming this show in the uk it it's right there for the taking to be like let's fly you over for three days and and so forth get you back into the the character of galen urso and all of that uh, pete maybe he brings his daughter along too and maybe she's played by a millie bobby brown i don't know maybe whatever it is millie you know bobby brown plays princess leia uh jen urso uh baby ray who who else um just yeah all the all the people so the child now i i, I will i will I'm still enthusiastic about all of this. I will back off one second and just say, I know part of our discussion last week was, again, even setting aside the Tony Gilroy stuff, part of the concept of this show is boots on the ground that every person, uh, you know, kind of here they are cold here uh, in this episode in the, the shepherd, the shepherd hut, you know, vague strains of, the American Revolution and Valley Forge and the cold, cold winter and not enough shoes and things of that sort. Let me ask you this, Pete. Let me put this idea into a question to you, Pete. Does the show lose some of its andorness, not in terms of the character, but does the show lose some of its, some of its, you know, the the small person's rebellion? Does it lose some of that if all of a sudden we have the episode where there's, you know, Jimmy Smith's, Millie Bobby Brown, um, uh, uh mads mickelson and they're all standing around you know at the millennium falcon factory or or whatever obviously i'm taking it a bit above and beyond but is it in the nature of the show to bring some of these characters in yes so long as you stay to the titular character you you can't have an episode of andor in which there is no andor and you know um diego luna has said ensemble drama we know the big deal about the 200 plus speaking roles um and you know he can only be on screen so much that all these characters will ultimately interact with him at least the majority of them i mean is he going to meet with mon mothma if not she's just going to be aware oh i just reallocated funds so you can pay this guy luthan like he's the connective tissue between and the era mystery that he continues to add to this to work in both worlds um but yeah i i definitely think they could on the topic that you talked about before you know and these potential break the internet moments like that's a writer's room discussion and then ultimately, if they choose to go forward with it, but that's where you really pie in the sky, these things like, wow, what if we did this? So, you know, we want who who wouldn't want to be able to bring in Princess Leia? You know, she's she's floating out there at this time. She's uh, a teenager, if not already a senator, you know, perhaps just about to be. Um, so how does that add to story? If the Gilroyan uh, edict is going to be no Star Wars for Star Wars sake, um, that you do it for story uh, and, and how we hand off that baton before ultimately those 
plans and that data smuggled out is is going to be the the story baton uh rogue one to a new hope time certainly will tell and i feel like if any of these things are going to happen it's a bit more fitting for the first season versus the second you know if if we're going to if in season two we're going to go three episodes of bby4 all right and then we do a time jump next couple episodes or a full year later i mean just right off the top of my head like to sit and go print teenage princess leia all right if you now need to account for her aging up every year like that quickly becomes an issue where it's like ah it's just easier to have a character like that um in the season towards the season finale towards the end of the first season then deal with all those time things so i think these are good problems to have it'll be interesting to look back at this portion of this, the discussion at the end of the season because i really think you know, like we've said before, we're four episodes in, but we're still figuring out exactly what this show is. Our rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions. Our Twitter poll, Pete, was which location from episode four most caught your eye? Pete, 0% was the shepherd's camp. Nobody who voted in this would have liked to be in the very drafty, obviously cold, not enough food shepherd's camp spot. I mean, look, does no one backpack? I I, I guess the answer is no. Uh, 30% said Mon Mothma Xanadu was a pretty sweet palatial apartment or whatever. 16.7% said uh, the oldest space antiquities shop. Uh, and then 53.3% uh, were most caught by Luthen's sweet ship. Some replies here. First one from David Siller at Siller David Poet. It's awesome how Andor sort of draws me in and invites me to sit with it. It's a quiet little thriller that's working its best work with every episode. It's so filling I haven't even kept up with my devouring rewatches yet, which just gives me something to look forward to. I'm also quite pleased to see how much Viewers in general are enjoying the slow burn and buildup. Previous Disney Plus content made a lot of uh, uh, made a lot of complainers about slow burns, even though it serves the storytelling quite well. Nothing but praise and satisfaction so far for Andor and Pete. That satisfaction far and for all with a PH. So there you go. Nice. Next, Andre Yeager at Doctor Polo nineteen eighty three says, "I see this show is going to be a true espionage thriller." I didn't expect Skarsgård to have such an impact. His acting is great. Loved when he put on the merchant persona. Totally embraced it. I was shocked when the episode ended so abruptly. I wanted more. Uh, And Spider-Ham Lincoln replied, that's Tess LC 139, said espionage thriller and heist show, to which Andre says exactly. Next we hear from Steve Thurberge, at Steve Thurberge on Twitter. Uh, switching from three episodes down to one was a bit jarring, but really enjoying the deep story within the Star Wars framework and not a Stormtrooper, Jedi, or lightsaber in sight. Excited to have eight more of these. Bob Keeley at R. Keeley says, really enjoying the pace of this series. They're taking their time to let us get to know the characters. It's been great so far. I'm glad there's plenty still to come. James is sagacious. Big Killen on Twitter says, loving the style and pace. The ISB was always interesting in the Legends novels, and they're doing it justice. So many interesting characters. The Magnificent Seven is in for a tough ride. <laughs> oh, man, Pete, I had not even made that connection there. Uh, how did things go in the Magnificent Seven slash the Seventh Samurai? They all lived, right? Uh, I'm not so sure about that. 
Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says, I heart emoji the corporate bureaucracy of the empire, uh, complete with its office politics. Watching the seeds of the rebellion from the ground level is very interesting. I'm still trying to figure out which of the empire workers will turn to help the rebellion. I'm always down. Plus, I'm always down for a heist. Pete, you did uh, nominate Karn for that uh, spot there. Back to Spider-Ham Lincoln, uh, who says, I don't have anything critical to say of this episode or this series so far. It's great to see these seeds of rebellion firsthand. And I'm learning to really appreciate the hint of Mon Mothma we saw in Return of the Jedi. Skarsgård's Luthen with his Sky Stone is a great character. To add to his uh, geek geekish resume, Dr. Selvig, Baron Harkonnen, Bootstrap Bill, to name a few. Andor is smart storytelling, and I'm thankful it's been uh, gifted to us. Lastly, Pete, tweeter at law, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Glad to see some story expansion after the first three episodes being pretty Ferrex-centered and flashbacks. The Empire office politics are interesting and something we really haven't seen before in Star Wars that I recall. Lots of new character names to learn, which I'm really bad at, but I do appreciate the new heist, uh, heist story. Uh, I'm going to guess it doesn't go off as planned. Seriously, Disney Plus, what's with the ridiculously long end credits? Pete, can you defend your Lucasfilm for the long credits? It's not just Lucasfilm. It's Marvel as well. You know, you you look at the size of the file and then you're like, all right, minus seven minutes. I think this week I scanned ahead. I was like, there's not a deleted scene, right? I scanned a little bit more than pressed play uh and then it immediately went to like you know disney plus will be like we're still watching the credits but they're really far down here here's something else to watch when that happens you know they've given you the exit pete to the email inbox we go have a duo of emails here first one from steve adams who says i will admit andor was the show i was least looking forward to i'm anxiously awaiting ahsoka in the meantime, we get a different kind of Star Wars story. This episode continued a slow build. There has not been much action so far, but there was a solid foundation laid. It's really interesting seeing the work of the Empire at the base levels, far away from Vader and the Emperor. It was also very satisfying seeing the Deputy Inspector get his comeuppance for his disastrous decision-making. I'm still not sure I will like this more than The Mandalorian or Kenobi, but I am intrigued enough to keep watching. Until next week, stay fantastic. Pete, that from Steve Adams. Last email, Pete, comes from Stacy, who says, Welp, I still like the look of Andor, but I want to retract the gritty and realistic uh, and take back Tony Gilroy's wings. Sheesh, why do people need to dog on the precursors to show they're making? Uh, your show wouldn't exist if it weren't for all that came before. Sigh, I like it better when they don't, when I don't know about all this nonsense. That isn't a dig on y'all for talking about it. I just get grumpy when people think trashing something people loves makes them seem intellectual or whatever. Pete, I kind of like that she's dumping on uh, Tony Gilroy here. Like, relax, dude. You're making a space shoot laser show. Yeah. Uh, anyhow. So Kathleen, I don't want to call it Star Wars. I'd like to call it Celestial Space Battle. Uh <laughs> Back to Stacy Pete. She says, anywho, Aldani was a great episode. I expect Stellan Skarsgård to be good, of course, but his portrayal of Luthen's different aspects is amazing. Loves the detail of him getting into character after he donned the clothes uh, and wig of the antiquities dealer. Also loved getting more on Mon Mothma. Vel is a great character. Annoyed at Luthen for dropping Clem on her team, but then making the case for why he's needed is, as Luthen said, being a good leader. 
I can't wait for the heist. Clem piloting a box freighter to outrun TIE fighters. I whooped when I saw them. And Space Crystal Light Show. It's going to be great. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. This fifth episode and the heist of the payroll uh, coming up here. Yeah, can't wait for Wednesday morning. Pete, this entire thing made possible not by a heist from the imperial payroll but rather by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek they are our rebel alliance keeping us listener supported everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to contribute at but as we said at the top takes just a dollar to get in there get yourself some chimichangas spit in imperial food all that good stuff can't contribute this month get over to apple podcast we could really use your help give us a review in seconds to this podcast feed to the she hulk podcast by fantastic geek to any of our 32 feeds helps us immeasurably and indeed pete let's keep the conversation going for all those things particularly since this is the month that she hulk will end then lower decks will end and we have the Andor full uh, November. How can people be in touch with you to talk about any of these things? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K E T E L A A R twelve thousand seven hundred forty eight followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H. Like it today. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, back tomorrow for Lower Decks. And the next week, yeah, we'll only podcast four things. She-Hulk, Andor, Lower Decks, and Werewolf by Night. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Must everything be so boring and sad?